Welcome to the Thirst for More podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley, where we sit down and talk with strength coaches, personal trainers, nutritionalists, and other professionals in the fitness and strength and conditioning field to help athletes, parents, coaches, small business owners help level up their game to provide athletes and clients world-renowned success, either in the weight room, on the field, or on the platform. Enjoy today's episode. On episode 20, I do a solo episode discussing eight exercises that I do not like for athletic performance. A lot of you are going to be a little bit discouraged, not like my answers, not like my opinions, and you've probably learned in classes and school and certifications and other trainers and coaches that you've worked with, these are the exercises you have to program. And while I would agree that many of these exercises are awesome exercises usually, especially if you're in a limited capacity in your weight room or what you have access to, financially i think there are exercises that are better than these that can help train some of the same adaptations that we're trying to get if not provide overall a better training adaptation stimulus i really want to hit home on the fact that we are as a strength coach or a strength coach population or personal trainer we're trying to train adaptations we're not trying to train exercises exercises are a means to an end to get our client our athlete what they want stronger bigger faster leaner, more athletic, quicker feet, whatever you want to call it. If your exercises can do that potentially in a safer manner, a better training response, there's something extra about that exercise that gives you something that the other one doesn't, that might be a better option. And So I really want to challenge you to think about these eight exercises, why you might program them, and then why you might pick these other options that I'm listing and telling you how we do things here at Thirst, about how we program some of these exercises. So the exercises I'm programming, they might be pretty decent exercises, and for the most part, I think they are. But I think also some of us are very strength sport heavy, and so we think that we need to train these exercises. But yet, you hear all the time, I don't want my athlete to be a strongman, powerlifter, bodybuilder, Olympic lifter. So let's not get merited and married to these athletic movements or you know, weightlifting movements for athletic performance, however you really want to lump them, because I would say they're relatively athletic movements in general, because they're big bang for your buck exercises, but let's not get married to them and assume that we have to do them. There are other options available. Many times there are better options available, and I think that if we can use that and benefit those, I think our athletes benefit in the long term, and as strength coaches, that needs to be our main priority, is providing a good overall base of strength, safe exercise selections, and being able to give our athletes the edge, even if it's just that 1%. If I think what I'm going to do is going to give my my athlete that 1% over your athlete, I'm going to pick it. And I think for many of us, we would, especially if we know that they're going to go on to that collegiate level or professional level. We want to give them every, every piece of success that we can. So enjoy episode 20 of eight exercises I think are overrated for athletic performance. I'm going to give you my options of what I think are better. And hopefully you take something away that helps you improve as a coach. So enjoy episode 20. For today's episode, I'm going solo. And for this 20th episode, we are going to discuss eight exercises that I hate for athletic performance. This might seem kind of clickbaity or listen-baity or however you want to discuss that with a, with a podcast. But these are eight exercises that I find myself not really programming so much anymore. So if you would open up your NSCA textbook, your ACSM textbook, 
things you learned in school. These are probably exercises that you probably see a lot. And I feel that after about 10, 12 years of training people and working in a field, I find myself programming these exercises less and less and making more demands towards what the athlete actually needs and making smart exercise selections, especially when we're talking about personal training. I know this is more of an athletic performance point, and that's also why I want to discuss these, that these eight exercises are generally great. There's nothing wrong with them. I think they're bang for your buck foundational exercises. I think if you're trying to teach someone how to train and you're learning how to train, and for the most part, in your facility, this is probably what you're going to have your bread and butter around. And so I want to make sure that I'm very clear that there's nothing wrong with these exercises. They're great exercises. However, I think there's ways that we can choose smarter exercises for athletic performance because when we're working with athletes, our number one goal is to get stronger and faster, put on size, and overall aid the performance on the field, the court, the swim pool, the wrestling mat, you know, whatever your sport might be. So we're not locked into these confined exercises that we have to use we can use other exercises to basically basically be able to challenge and train a specific movement pattern or quality or adaptation that is going to help make us a better athlete right so let's try to think outside the box here don't try to kill me for picking these exercises because I am 99% sure that one of these exercises I'm going to be that I'm going to name out of all these exercises 99% of you are going to be like that's wrong. I would totally put that in a program. And maybe you would. And as long as you can defend it, I actually think that's okay. I think that's the number one thing when it comes to writing a training program is that you can be able to sit down and defend why you have something in the training program and how it's going to help that athlete become better. So if you can do that, I think that's a very good way to look at your program. So, you know, look back at the programs you've done. And, you know, hopefully a couple years ago, you look at programs, you're like, man, what was I doing? I could have made a much better exercise selection choice and that's kind of what I want you to think is thinking outside the box so usually here at Thirst these are probably exercises that you're not going to see me program a lot of and if I do it's probably because I feel like at the high school level they're going to be done so part of my due diligence is to make the high school athlete good and competent at these exercises so that when they go to perform them without my eyes and help they're a leader in the weight room in terms of what they're doing, not only in terms of execution, but also that they're safe and they're getting the most out of the exercise when they have to perform it in the weight room at the high school or even the collegiate level. So let's get this started. I'm also going to give you options that I think are better choices for athletic performance. I guess I should make one more caveat before I get started here, and that is if you are a strength sport athlete, this is really going to hurt you and kick you in the nads. All right? I'm going to attack lifts that you like that you compete at that you love and i'm going to tell you they suck and but if you're a competitive athlete in terms of strength sports you have to do these that's part of your competitive endeavor that would be like me telling a soccer player that they can't use a soccer ball well it's kind of part of the sport so i think you're probably going to have to have the soccer ball involved at some point of your career to be good at soccer right the only time that you should probably want to not have the ball in soccer would be if you're the goalie so Let's think this through here. Don't take offense to this. If it hurts you, we're talking about athletic performance, and I want to make that very, very clear here after these first couple minutes. So the very first exercise that I have on my list um, that I would get rid of for athletic performance is the back squat. And I would say, well, the squat is king. It's the best overall lower body development exercise. Um, it's a good foundational. You know, it's one of the six foundational movement patterns that needs to be mastered to, to be strong in the weight room and to be safe. And I agree. However, what I've found with the back squat is you're working with many athletes, most of them that have any kind of coaching involved in the past, if they're coming to a private facility like mine, 
I'm having to fix a lot of stuff. And I end up turning around and end up box squatting them to fix stuff. Well, we could probably just box squat to begin with and I'll have to worry about the free squat. And we can probably get the technique down better with the box squat than we could with the traditional back squat without the box. But I would even go one step further and say that we probably don't even need to actually have the actual bar on their back. I would argue that if you've got enough heavier dumbbells, especially with your middle school and high school athletes, you probably should gobble squat them until your your weights run out. Um, you know, we use the the back squat here very very seldomly with some of our athletes, but traditionally, if you walk in my facility, most kids are going to be goblet squatting or goblet box squatting, especially in the first two to three months of them being in here, because we've got to get that movement pattern crisp and looking great. But I also like that with the front anterior load, we're going to get more abdominal work. We're also going to make sure that the technique looks great. And also, we're not going to have our hands back behind a barbell and the barbell sitting usually on our cervical spine, because most kids don't understand what it's like to actually be able to put and create a shelf on their back, or they don't have the desired mass on their back yet to be able to create a good solid shelf to be able to put that barbell on to prevent some potential issues at the cervical spine area. So you got to be able to teach them, you know, where to put the bar and then obviously all the things that go along with that. Again, good competent coaches. I think that some of us know we can do that, but then we have to fix other stuff if there's already issues at hand. We also have to consider that based upon their limitations, they may be able to squat better with their heels elevated, um, whether that be a hamstring or calf mobility issue or hip mobility issue, um, you know, your screening process should be able to dictate that. Um, it could also come down to their ISA, whether wide or narrow, and that's also going to dictate how you squat to be able to keep the pelvis and the rib cage stacked at all times as best you can. And usually the goblet position lets you do that tremendously easier than a barbell on the back. So I think whenever you're looking at that, I think that's something that you need to consider. And then also I find that whenever we're squatting our kids, if we're going to squat them, we generally choose the safety squat bar and a box option um, because that generally works best for our athletes, especially our overhead population. I like that we definitely don't get their uh, arms cranked back into external rotation and that bar on their back. And then when we teach them how to box squat, um, obviously got the static overcome, overcome by dynamic and obviously you're consistent on your depth. And I think there's a lot of great benefits to box squatting in general. So that's kind of a big catch-all because, you know, you're kind of saying, well, the back squat sucks. Well, it doesn't suck if you're a power lifter, and I think if you're trying to get stronger, I think it's good that you master the squat, um, the back squat specifically. But I do think if you're an athlete and you have no desire to be in the weight room other than the fact to be able to run faster and jump higher and throw harder and things like that, I think usually you're probably going to find a different squat variation works best for you because, like I said at the very beginning, we're chasing an adaptation. We are not chasing an exercise. So... The adaptation is to get the lower body stronger, to remain good in position, have the hips good and strong, build up the butt, hamstrings, and the quads, um, and even get some torso work out of it, especially if you've got that anterior load. I don't think the back squat's the ideal exercise for that. I think the goblet or double kettlebell front rack or a safety squat bar or a front squat is probably your main go-tos. I would even say that if you want to really really be picky i think the front squat is a better option than the back squat for most athletes i think it does a much better job of teaching them position and getting them that anterior load and that also ensures that they're mobile enough to be able to perform the exercise because they probably need to ensure they have proper shoulder mobility and hip and um, ankle mobility to be a good athlete or at least to be the best athlete they can be and therefore i would argue that front squatting will make sure that you keep those because if you can't front squat well you're probably gonna have some issues but I also think the box squat's great too, and I would, I personally, especially for my bigger athletes, would much rather box squat than the safety bar. So there's a nice good chunk of time involved in the squat for you, and um, that's just my opinion. 
So, again, I think there's nothing wrong with the back squat. Great exercise. Not great for athletic performance. All right, number two is the beloved bench press. I hate this exercise. I'm good at it. I like it from a competitive standpoint. And I just think that from an athletic standpoint, I think the bench press is the most overhyped piece of shit exercise that athletes do that usually has minimal carryover to athletic performance. Um, I just think that for most athletes, upper body strength is not as important as it seems deemed by your PE coach or your your quote-unquote strength conditioning coach. If you happen to have somebody that fills those shoes that doesn't do a good job, even the really good, I should say really good ones, even the full-time guys that do it sometimes put a little more merit into the, the barbell bench press than other exercises. And so... I'll tell you, if you walk in my facility, you're probably going to see any of my kids barbell bench pressing. Very, very few. I, I'm trying to think of kids right now off the top of my head that are doing it, and I can't think of one training program right now that's being implemented where the barbell bench press is being used. Um, so why would that be? Well, the first one is the internal rotation. I don't like the internal rotation at the shoulder with the barbell. When if our goal is to increase upper body strength, I think basically shoving that shoulder joint into internal rotation right at the chest is kind of useless. Um, I don't think it's good for the athlete. I think we can build upper body strength and size without destroying the shoulder in the process. I think if you go look at any guy that's probably been in the gym for 15, 20 years, they're going to complain about their shoulders and it's because of the way they bench pressed. Or they used to bench press 405 when they are 18. Right, sure you did. That's probably why your shoulder's totally screwed and it feels like shit. It's probably because you didn't know how to bench press. And it's not that I, I can teach athletes how to bench press, but let's be real. Teaching an athlete how to bench press like a competitive powerlifter is probably a waste of time. Very rarely are you going to see in sport that your shoulders are pulled back and down, retracted really hard, you've got an arch, your feet are pushing through the floor, and you're not going to go anywhere, and you're trying to decrease range of motion. That's not going to happen in a field or a court or a swimming pool or anything like that. That's not the that's not the adaptation we're trying to train with a bench press. What are we trying to get from the bench press when we're training athletes? What makes it a, a, a must program? If you're a coach, ask yourself that. Why do I need to program the bench press? What am I after here? Is it just because it's a big bang for your buck movement? That might be a so-so answer, but again, as you've kind of saw with the squat, we can make an argument that you could do that with a lot of other things. And I'm going to give you my list of exercises I think that are better than the bench press for that here in just a second. So I would argue that the bench press not only is not great for the shoulder, the way that you coach it to have to try to have the shoulder be slightly safer is probably a waste of time for your athlete. But then the also, the other thing is, is it's one of the most ego-pushed lifts in the gym. I don't know where it has a huge amount of transfer to sport other than maybe like shot put or where you're having to physically throw something. As a lineman, obviously you got to push people around, but wouldn't you argue that's probably more of a two-board press or a three-board press, not necessarily a bench press? If your hands are backed by your chest when you're trying to push a lineman out of the way, you're probably getting beat. So if you're talking about transfer to sport, eh, maybe not so much. So, And also we're going to talk about overhead athletes, pinning their shoulders back and down, not necessarily good. We actually want the scapula to come up and around the rib cage. We want to be able to protract that that uh, have retraction at the shoulders. We want to be able to actually feel a reach, right? You want to be able to get that serratus involvement. You want the upward rotation. Bench press doesn't do that for you, especially with a barbell. So if you're a baseball, softball player, I would argue let's not bench press a whole lot. It's not that it's bad. 
it's you know it's probably something you do in the off season to build some general strength because you're so far out. But in most cases than not, I would say there's probably a better exercise you can choose. Um, so if you're not gonna pick the bench press, what are we gonna pick? I would argue that we pick uh, either if you're gonna bench press, I think you should bench press with the Swiss bar. I think even especially for the older lifters, especially the older lifters, if you're not a competitive power lifter, ditch the bench press and buy a Swiss bar from EliteFTS.com. There's my plug. Um, but that puts you in a neutral grip, so that gets our arm externally rotated, which is safer on the shoulder long term, still lets you press, you're going to develop some massive triceps, and I think that gets you what you want as an older lifter. As an athlete, same kind of thing, you're going to put some upper body mass on, external rotation at the shoulder, it's overall a safer pressing movement, you can still teach the shoulders back and down, so if you want to be able to get your athlete to a regular barbell with some other exercise, whether that be like a board press, or bench press the shoulder saver, or floor press, you can do that. So I think the Swiss bar there is kind of the win-win in terms of you're going to bench press with a barbell. If you don't have access to a Swiss bar, then your next best bet is probably a traditional floor press. So you're going to limit the range of motion automatically because the arms are going to come down. They're going to hit the floor. They're going to have to remain tight and in control. Their shoulders still pull back and down, so you get your regular coaching cues out of your bench press. You take the leg drive out of the exercise, so it's truly an upper body exercise. And if that's the adaptation that you're training, again, I think the floor press trumps the bench press because you'll see in any high school weight room Right now, if you go walk in there during football season and they're benching, assuming COVID's letting them, their butts are way up off the bench and it has became a decline bench press or a bench press with leg drive or a bench press with glute bridge. It's not a bench press. So what are you after? Upper body strength or are you trying to move weight? Because you're trying to move weight, you're going to teach them how to be a power lifter. That's not what we're after, right? So Let's talk about the floor press, and that would probably be your main go-to if you are limited in equipment uh, at your facility. The other option is you could buy some bands from EliteFTS.com. I'm going to plug them again. You could do reverse band work so that you limit the range of motion, or the stress, I'm sorry, not the range of motion. You limit the stress at the shoulder joint when you come down because the bands are going to help aid you. And then as you go press off the chest, the weight is then going to feel heavier as the bands basically give you less assistance at the top so you still change the same movement pattern you put on some size but you give a little bit less risk at the shoulder you could also do boards and shoulder savers so that you're automatically not even going into that so think of that as your floor press but even less um, probably because you're going to have like a two or three board so you're bringing a lot of tricep work and I love board work for football players and linemen I think it's one of the best things for overall pushing strength and developing good strong arms um, to be able to push defenders off and push them around. Um, but I also think that the the best exercise that everybody just keeps neglecting is the push-up. Uh, there's too many kids. We see kids, kids in here every day, and there's too many kids that just cannot do a push-up on the floor. And I think about when I was a kid, and I know I was smaller. When I was in high school, you know, I only wrestled 112 and 125 through four years. And But even when I was in eighth grade, you know, I was around 100 pounds, and – my dad would have me do push-ups almost every day. And, you know, it's a basic foundational exercise of being able to push, but it's being able to master your body weight. I just think that the push-up is a forgotten exercise in strength and conditioning, especially at the athletic level. Everyone thinks in the high school level you got to bench press. And the sad thing is you've got this, you know, big athlete, 200, 220-pound athlete that's a freshman or sophomore, and they can't do a freaking push-up. But Bobby, damn, they can bench press 200 pounds. Well, that's less than their freaking body weight. That's not impressive. All right? You can use the bench press to develop strength to do a push-up, but I, that's not the way I would go about it. I would just do more push-ups. Do them from the knees. Do them with your hands elevated. 
you know, do some dumbbell bench pressing work so you get some shoulder stability out of it and, and find different ways to press other than bench press because I don't think the bench press has the greatest transfer over to a push-up because you have those scapulas locked down if your scapulas cannot be locked down when you do a push-up. So that would be my kind of options that you have there for the horizontal pressing aspect and the bench press. Again, if you're a powerlifter, you got to do the exercise. That's part of your sport. But if you're not a powerlifter, I think the bench press is kind of useless but it's just the most popular and it looks sexy because they want to see if you can bench press 315 or 225 or yada, yada, yada. Now, you start getting the pro level or the college level and you have a 225 rep test, which, again, go talk to any college strength coach or professional strength coach or whatever, and they'll tell you that that rep or that test is absolutely useless. You know, it, it does nothing other than inflate egos um, because for most athletes it becomes a conditioning test for the upper body more than it becomes a strength test. If the benching was so important you would one rep maximum, right? Just like a vertical jump. You want to see how high you can jump. You don't want to see how many times you can jump 24 inches. You're measuring to see how high you can jump one time. So I think if we're going to look at that, that's kind of how we have to look at things is, um, you know, if you're at that kind of level, what's the ultimate goal? So, um, again, bench press, in my opinion, kind of useless. All right, let's go to number three. And I want to hit some flack on this one, and uh, I totally probably would understand, but I also personally hate this exercise. And that exercise is the conventional deadlift. Great for if you're a powerlifter or a strongman, you got to do it. It's part of your sport. But if you're not a strongman and you're not a competitive powerlifter, I think the conventional deadlift is one of the most riskiest exercises you're going to see performed. Too many people don't have enough experience in how to coach it correctly to be able to get it right, or you're overwhelmed with how many athletes you're working with at one time at the high school or college level, and you can't give the kids the attention they need, and so you let kids kind of slack. And so next thing you know, it becomes a lower back exercise, and who can pull the most weight off the deck without blowing their spine out? And, you know, when you have some of these elite athletes, a lot of them are just so strong that it doesn't, you feel like they're not going to, they're invincible. But as we've kind of made this theme be is what is the point of the exercise? What are we trying to train from the deadlift, the conventional deadlift here, um, for athletic performance? Are we looking for leg drive? Are we looking for lower body power? Are we looking for like a like a push, a pull? Are we looking for a glute and hamstring work? Like what's the point of the conventional deadlift? So I would say that the main reason I don't program it is that I think most kids don't have the glute and hamstring development to begin with to be able to get in good positions. A lot of them don't even have the mobility to get down there. So you got to start doing some clearance tests and seeing if they have the mobility to even get down there to maintain a neutral spine. Everyone talks about neutral spine, but to make sure they can maintain good position. So if you can't do that, probably start raising up on mats or blocks if you really want to stay with conventional and then coach them on the way down. But again, if we're training adaptations... We're trying to train some lower body power and lower body strength, um, or even full body, depending on how you want to classify your deadlifting, your programming. Um, in my opinion, it's a full body exercise, but a lot of people are usually after the lower body work. Um, I personally think that if you're going to pick that exercise, I think you initially start your kids off with an RDL. So you're going to look at glute and hamstring development. Let's get the glutes and hamstrings strong first, and then try to get the barbell back down on the floor. Because if the glutes and the hamstrings come up, maybe they can maintain position better, so when they go to actually pull... They're not looking like a scared cat on Halloween or their T-spine is going to shoot across the ceiling. 
we want to be able to maintain that neutral position as much as possible. And usually that comes down to the fact that the glutes and hamstrings are weak, so the athlete's going to default to using their lower mid-back to finish the exercise, which is why they can't get their ass through at the top, or they lose positioning at the knee after they pull it off the floor. So with that being said, I don't really like the conventional. I think the sumo works better if you're going to pull from the floor with one of the options or the hex bar. So for us, our first checklist is can our kids RDL properly and can they hit our benchmarks of what we want them to be able to RDL before we let them pull from the deck. If they can do that, then we move them to the platform to to the hex bar. Move them to the hex bar first because the handles are higher, the load is obviously central, you know, it's basically in the middle of the body, it's not out in front of them, so the coaching becomes immediately easier. We know their glutes and hamstrings are strong enough to be able to pick it off the floor because they met our benchmark of meeting the weight that we want them to be able to, to RDL before they deadlift. And so when that happens, then it comes down to basically having the lower body strong enough and keeping everything stacked and making sure they can keep their lats tight, and then everything looks relatively pretty good. Then once they get to you know a relatively decent weight and it looks pretty comfortable, if their sport or that athlete, I feel like they would benefit from sumo, then we move them to sumo deadlifts. And if sumo deadlifts look good, I mean, usually start them off a couple on mats or blocks, so it's three, four inches off the ground, and then we move them down to the floor. So I think that is probably an overall better progression if you want your athletes to deadlift. I would not just throw them into the hex bar. Well, the hex bar, I think, is pretty easy to learn for a lot of high school athletes. I still get a ton of high school athletes in here that there's no way I would start them out with a hex bar. There's no way. I still got some high school kids that are still doing RDLs because they're still having a hard time really understanding what it's like to keep that neutral spine and get those glutes and hamstrings strong when the barbell's out in front of them at the knee level and hitting our benchmark standards that we want them to hit before we let them do that. And we just tell them that's the way it is. If you really want to deadlift off the floor, you got to hit our benchmark. I don't care what your size is or you know what your 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 athletic endeavors are or whatever. We have the benchmarks there for a reason, and it's to ensure not only your safety but the fact that you've earned the right to go do the next exercise, which in this case would be the hex bar deadlift for us. Um, but when it comes to the conventional deadlift, I just don't see any benefits. Uh, I, from an athletic performance standpoint, I just think it's an entire waste of time. That's one exercise that to me is just not – it is not going to happen in my facility. Um, we're going to stay with the hex bar if we're going to deadlift from the floor, or we're going to go with the sumo if they happen to be sport that I feel like um, lateral power development is very important. So uh, baseball, softball, and even basketball. I think sometimes football works relatively well uh, depending upon the sport and the position. So – that's my opinion on the deadlift. Might hurt your feelings. I hate that exercise just in general, but I think it's also a really crappy one for athletic performance. All right, the fourth one is the bent over row. And this would probably be considered a lot of your main pulling exercises. I think rows are probably one of the most underprogrammed exercises uh, in any strength and conditioning program, regardless of where you look. Um, I see programs quite frequently from. Um, other coaches in the area or they're coming from other programs and I'm like man I wish there was more horizontal pulling um, that's just what needs to be there not only from a postural standpoint but how much pushing you're going to program the pulling needs to be there but the bent over row in my opinion is not worth the risk versus reward there's a lot of things you got to ensure that your young athletes can master before they do that so just throwing a kid into a bent over row in their first three weeks I think is not a good idea I think there's a lot of better exercises you can teach um, and get the same benefit from. So I'm going to hit home on this on every single exercise. What's the training adaptation you're after? Are you trying to train the back musculature? 
Well, there's a bajillion rowing exercises. A bajillion. If you want some of them, go to our website, thirstgym.com. Click on the exercise index. There's like 300, some, there's almost 300 exercises on there. At this point, there's probably at least 20 to 30 rowing variations at a minimum. I bet 10% of the videos on there are at least some kind of row or upper back uh, option. So there's plenty of options, and I can tell you right now, there might be a bit of a row video on there, and that's probably very old from my powerlifting days, and we don't program it with a regular barbell hardly at all. So why don't I like it? Well, the first thing is you got to ensure they got the hinge pattern mastered, so they got to be able to RDL well and or deadlift so that they can hinge down, keep a neutral spine, have all that isometrically strong in the bottom. Then you got to make sure their rowing pattern is relatively good so they're not having their elbows kick out really bad. They're also not going to cheat. They're not going to use their body English to pull back and forth to be able to get that row. Um, so that's one thing. And then for most of these kids, so we're after a training adaptation. I think trying to put them isometrically in a spot like that is probably not good. I just don't really see a whole lot of carryover to sport in terms of being in that position. Um, maybe in wrestling, but then I would probably argue that you could probably figure out other ways to get that training adaptation from the, than from a bent over row. So uh, it mainly comes down to low back health. If I had to say one pigeonhole thing of why I don't like it, it's the low back and the ability, the fact that you've got to have a bunch of checkpoints checked to be able to do it. Um, and it's not that I don't think it can't be coached correctly. I just think that there's other options available in your facility if you have access to them. If you're a bare-bones guy and all you got to barn and rack, then this might be the only one you got to got to use. But um, some exercises that I think are better than the bent-over row for athletic performance. First one is definitely inverted rows, just in general. I think it's a body weight exercise. It's super easy to set up. Most kids need to be able to learn how to master their body weight, so I think that's one option that you have. Would that be with a barbell? or some kind of TRX or suspension system. The next one would be um, a chest-supported row. That would be a machine or with dumbbells. I like the fact that the back is uh, I mean, obviously laying down, so the low back is going to get low back issue that we're talking about with the bent-over rows. That's completely taken out of the equation at this point. Um, so now you're focusing on just horizontal pulling pattern, and you can actually emphasize where you want the elbows and, and really good quality retraction of the scapula, which is probably one thing you're also trying to train with that particular exercise is scapular retraction, upper back work. And then the other one I think that's relatively decent, and I'm going to talk about why I said decent and not great, is the dumbbell row. Um, I love dumbbell rows personally. We generally program them with a tripod or a plank position for the sheer fact that we want our athletes to keep their spine neutral. We want them to get some free abdominal work out of it, but also the fact that if you – almost treat it like a, starting a lawnmower, these kids will just get sloppy with it, and it kind of defeats the purpose. You know, we're trying to improve the back string, scapular retraction, and if you're going with a single arm option, that's great because it's unilateral, and therefore you're going to get some anti-rotation work out of your abdominals, but you got to coach it upright, so if you're not coaching upright, you're kind of missing out on that. So I think those are probably your best options, any kind of chest-supported option, um, any kind of inverted option, and then any kind of dumbbell rowing that you can figure out how to do so long as the neutral spine and you're you're coaching it well I think is a little bit better of an option than your traditional uh, bent over row plus because you have the hand supported somewhere you're going to ensure that you maintain the same angle the whole time um, so that's my my number four so that gets us to the halfway point all right the fifth one is something that I kind of um I'm kind of big on as well. We don't ever program this exercise here like hardly ever. 
um, and that's the overhead press. I'm not a, I've never been a fan of the overhead press for myself. Um, I've always hated it. I've been good at it, and I've always hated it. I just don't, I don't like the way it feels. Um, I feel like it takes more, it causes more wear and tear on my shoulder than anything else, or even my wrist when I'm in the front rack position. Um, it's a very hard pro- lift to make progress on once you actually get strong. Um, you're trying to add a two and a half, five pounds on each side. It becomes very challenging. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really see a whole lot of correlation to my bench press, which is why I was using it as a power lifter. So I was just like, well, if I can already overhead press, you know, 160 and do it for reps, what's the point of trying to overhead press 165, 170, 175? What's the point of that if it's my bench press is not going to move? I'm causing wear and tear and I'm wasting my training resources. Now, the overhead press can be great for overhead athletes. Uh, the overhead pressing pattern, let me correct myself there. The overhead pressing pattern can be great for overhead athletes and building shoulder stability and building strong shoulders so athletes have more muscle mass around that joint, which is very important for female athletes. Let's make sure we get that out right out, out of the way off the get-go. But with the overhead or with the barbell, again, we're talking about limitations of being able to get all the way overhead without any kind of bad compensation patterns, and for most athletes, they can't do that. They don't have the shoulder mobility. They don't have the thoracic spine mobility. They don't have the lat mobility. Um, They can't keep their ribs down, and then it basically becomes a ton of stress placed upon the low back or mid-back or even the shoulder to be able to get into full extension overhead, and people wonder why their shoulders are like crap or they can't make progress, their back's bothering them. Um, I just don't think the the time invested in that exercise is worth it. Um, so, you know, most athletes probably are young enough and mobile, or I'm just saying mobile enough because they're not. They're young enough and they don't use enough weights that are heavy enough to cause any issues, so you might think it's okay, but I would argue that your better options to choose from, I think the first one is the, the landmine overhead press, whether you're actually going to use some kind of attachment, whether you got a neutral grip or you're going to go with a half kneeling, tall kneeling, split stance, um, just standing option where you got your your shoulder externally rotated um, and then you've also got the fact that you're getting a reach involved so the scapula can move and then you're not pressing directly overhead you're pre- pressing at an angle I think that works better for the overall health of the shoulder and the low back in the long run then it starts becoming unilateral potentially depending on having your landmine set up um, we also prefer using incline neutral grip dumbbell pressing if we kind of train our overhead pattern it's not as quote-unquote functional um, because you're laying down a bench. But if we're just trying to train that musculature and trying to put some size on the shoulders and the arms and the upper chest, I think that kind of has some warrant to it uh, with a neutral grip option. And then the other thing you can do is you can have a neutral grip option for your overhead press with a half kneeling. We start most of our athletes there uh, because I love the half kneeling for a lot of our work. And then usually if you have a neutral grip with the dumbbell when you reach overhead, a lot of athletes will probably be able to do it relatively safely without going into extension. You might have to coach some of them and teach them how to not have their ribs completely flared when they go to press overhead to keep that down with that reach. But even I, at a half-kneeling position, can get pretty close to getting full overhead in that position if I really work on keeping my ribs down. And I have terrible shoulder mobility. So I think those are your options in terms of overhead pressing. I don't think we look at the barbell right there. I just think it's not worth it. Um, if you really wanted to try to have an overhead barbell press, I think you should try to look at a, some kind of incline. We've already talked about the bench press and why I don't really like that. So really 
if you want to try to do that, I think an incline Swiss bar bench press is probably another option if you want to go with the barbell route. So that gives us five. Um, I hope you're kind of seeing a theme here of what we're kind of going around. This number six one I'm probably going to hear a lot of flack from. And number six is the uh, clean, the power clean, and or the snatch. So kind of Olympic movements. Um, I don't want to say Olympic movements because I think there are like jerks and stuff that are okay, and I don't want to say Olympic movements. The actual clean and the actual snatch, the full exercise, even the power versions, power clean and the power snatch. I don't think are that great for athletic performance. I know what the research says in terms of how the velocity works and all that stuff, the triple extension. Get it. I'm totally behind that. I'm not against that at all. I'm not even against the fact of actually coaching the exercise and teaching kids how to do them correctly. I think the biggest question is, you know, what is the adaptation you're after? What kind of time frame you work with? What's your coach-to-athlete ratio? What do you have access to equipment-wise? What's the kid's training age? I think there's a lot of unknown variables. So I'm just going to say for average, in most cases – Am I going to teach a kid? Am I take the time to teach a kid how to do a power clean? Or are we going to do something else? So, in my opinion, we're probably going to do something else. I think those exercises are great. And if I have a kid that walks in that's junior senior trying to get ready for a football scholarship, or where you know we have a little bit of that experience in hand, I can probably just need to work on fixing technique and cleaning that up, and then we can probably benefit from the exercise a lot more. We can probably start to load it up. But I'm not going to throw a kid into that day one to train triple extension. I think that's something we save and we wait till sophomore, junior, senior year to begin to introduce and then begin to work on and uh, be able to get the, the training benefits from. Because most of the reason you are training those exercises at the athletic performance realm is for triple extension. And I think if you're trying to train triple extension, I think your best options are weighted jumps and throws, um, different plyometrics. And then you also can talk about some sled work and things like that, where you're actually doing some sprints and getting some triple extension there unilaterally. You know, your single leg jumps, pogo hops. Again, we're, we're, we're kind of trying to train extension. Um, and then the other option, if you do choose to keep your cleaning your snatches, I think doing different pulls and high pulls and pull variations are where you would much rather be rather than catching the bar. Because like you said, if, if you're after the triple extension, if you can get the triple extension part without a catch and be able to load the weight up more and be able to physically produce more force that way, I think that's a better option. Usually the technique problem comes more in the catch than actual the pull. And I would say 95% plus of athletes that I've worked with in this, the snatch and clean and jerk, I don't even use the snatch that much, to be honest with you. Most of my kids are going to do cleans and that's it because um, I don't ever, ever have them catching the barbell overhead in the snatch. But the the pulls are super easy to coach. As long as they have their foundational movements down and they know how to hinge and they understand that you're trying to treat triple extension, they got to get their ankle, knee, and hip extended at the top and keep that bar enclosed and the elbows stay high. And the bar basically floats depending upon you're doing a regular you know, heavy pull or high pull, you know, depending on what you're, you're asking your athlete to do. I think once you start looking at those exercises – I think the pulls make a lot more sense, especially if you're in season, start saving the wrists and their elbows and their shoulders. No reason to catch that stuff. They're football players. Um, so I, I, I think they're great exercises. And obviously, if you're a competitive weightlifter, you got to do them. There's nothing wrong with them. I just think that the time invested to be able to get somebody to really, really good at them is just not worth it, especially for a short time frame. If you happen to be one-on-one on, one coach, 
you know, at a private facility and you have time to be able to teach your athlete to do them well, I think they're great. I really do. Um, I personally would also keep uh, weighted jumps and throws and things like that in there with that so that you are still training that triple extension hard while there's a learning curve. Uh, and then as they get more competent, I think you'll find that you can pull those away just a little bit than more than what you have. So I personally like supersetting them with things or we do all of our jumps and throws to begin with. Then we move to our Olympic pulls and then we go on with everything else that we have. So we kind of surf that curve on the force velocity curve. So um, that's the snatch and clean and jerk. So yeah, I know that's probably going to bother some people, but I just think also if you're a regular lifter, it's an entire waste of time training those unless if you're going to compete weightlifting. So if you're an athlete, look at pulls probably a little bit more um, and a little more weighted jumps and throws, plyos, and kettlebell swings for explosive hip extension. I think you'll be kind of good there. All right, so let's get to the last two, and these are not as sexy as those first six were because those first six, everyone's probably like, man, I love putting those in my programs. Those are, their, those are the main exercises you see. Yeah, a little bit, um, but I think, as you found out, we've got some better options available to us. All right, so the last one, I'm sorry, the last two, the upright row is number seven for me. Or, yeah, number seven for me. I hate the upright row. If you guys followed me on Instagram, I made like a two-minute rant about why I hated the upright row. One, I think, in terms of shoulder development, it might be so-so, but we're looking at an exercise that has a lot more risk versus reward, and I mean a lot more. I, I think the internal rotation that you're shoved into, and then that humeral head being depressed down while you pull that weight up, I think is just not worth the risk that you're probably going to see for most of your athletes. I understand that when you do a clean, you're technically in that internally rotated position, just like an upright row. But when you're doing a clean, even a snatch, but when you're doing a clean, your primary mover is going to be your lower body. You're not yanking the bar up with your upper body. In fact, when you're coaching it, you're trying to, <laughs> for most of your kids, you're trying to fix and correct the fact that they are using too much of their arms and not enough of their legs their butt to get extension to use their legs to move that weight as the bar gets up to about the belly button before then if you think about it the bar just has to get to the belly button anyways your leg should have enough power and strength to get the bar that high then then you start to pull yourself under and you're you're technically in that upright row position but there's not really a whole lot of actual stress there on the shoulder that's upright rowing you know it's it's a hook more than anything else, and then you pull yourself underneath the bar, shoot your elbows high, squat your butt down in the front rack position and catch it. So there's not a whole lot of shoulder wear and tear there in terms of that upright row position. But with the upright row in general, I think if you're trying to train the shoulders, I would imagine that's the primary reason people program that exercise is for shoulder development. If you're trying to do it for traps i think it's a waste of huge waste of time i think you should just do shrugs and neck work and tons of rows and face pulls and i think you'll be way better off um, for neck development but for the shoulders i just think there's better options we've talked about the overhead press and the variations we would make there um, i think that would be the first option the second option would be that if you're going to do your horizontal pressing, you're obviously going to get a ton of anterior shoulder development there if you're doing full range motion like push-ups and Swiss bar bench pressing and things like that. Um, and then when you're doing any kind of rowing variation, you're also attacking your upper back to some extent. So 
there's that aspect of it. So if you're really wanting some shoulder work, then I mean you're mainly looking at different lateral raise variations um, and rear delt raise variations to be able to get your shoulder development. And that's something that you can put into a complex. Um, I know we use IYTW complexes and we use six-way shoulder complexes for our uh, shoulder and delt work. I think those are overall safer options for your shoulders. And then we also do a ton of uh, band pull parts and face pulls and different variations of those. Um, prone swimmers, Blackburn, Serrano Press, things like that. In terms of our shoulder rehab, prehab for our shoulders. So I think all those exercises become being more valuable than the upright row. So as I've said probably six times now, what is the training adaptation you're after with your upright row? I don't know what I would... What about the upright row for me? Right, say I'm going to program this exercise for this, where I can't figure out a better option. So I say shoulder development, lateral raises, or your half kneeling landmine work. Um, if we're talking about the lateral part, again, lateral raises or six-way shoulders, I think are better because there's less wear and tear. And then we're talking about the rear delt portion of it. Well, you got chest supported rear delt raises and IYTW complexes. Um, face pulls, pull parts, all that jazz. Those are much safer exercises by far. Um, and usually you're going to get a little bit more bang for your buck with the Rudel work in terms of overall uh, posture and shoulder health. So I think those become better. So I see the upright row programmed a lot in a lot of training programs I look at from kids that come in here. And also even online, every now and then, I try to just get ideas from people. And I look up you know, maybe in-season softball program, and then it's got upright rows. And I'm like, gosh, this sucks. So it, it amazes me that those are still there, and that's why I don't like the upright row, and it's because of shoulder health more than anything. I, to me, that internal rotated position and the humeral head being depressed is not worth it. If you like the upright row, that's great, but I feel like I got some different arguments of why I could program other things. And the last one, number eight, I kind of put these two exercises into one, and I'm going to kind of just lump this together as a whole, and that's going to be machine work. Um, but the two main ones that I thought of that came to mind that I see programmed that I don't like um, are the leg press and the leg extension. I do think leg curls are a great machine, obviously chest port row machine, the lat pull-down machine, reverse hyper machine. Um, I'm trying to think right now off the top of my head what we have here in our facility. Um the inverse curl machine some of those you know what you're training you're trying to train gluten hamstring or upper back or lat pull down which the the lats and still more back work those are usually a lot more warranted right but the leg press and leg extension eh, not a not a big fan of those for athletes uh one of the if you had to probably pick the top five body parts that athletes feel get destroyed or, or ruin careers the knee is probably in the top three behind the back and the shoulder and if that's the case let's talk about how we can keep the knees healthy and I think the leg press and leg extension are not in that uh, category of being able to do that um, if you're a bodybuilder or a strength sport athlete these might be machines that are beneficial to you for overall volume in terms of saving your your body from a ton of barbell work but I think if you're an athlete you're probably in the weight room two to three times per week and you probably can get away with doing anything else and making progress just as fast, if not faster, than without these extra, these pieces of equipment. 
we have them at Thirst, but I can tell you personally, in my training programs, I have never programmed a leg press or a leg extension. Never have. Probably never will. Um, I take that back. There's one guy. He broke his leg. I have him doing leg extensions with his bad leg because we have not a really great way to train his quads, and that's the only thing I have him doing for that, and I have him doing super high reps for that, mainly to prevent, or I'm sorry, mainly to prevent atrophy on his quad while he's rehabbing <clears throat> that broken leg. So that's the only person I think I've ever programmed that for. So I'll take that back. Got one. Screwed up there. Outside of that, if you have a healthy athlete, I don't like the leg press and leg extension. And the main reason is that having that pressed down on the tibia like that is not great for the ligaments of the knee. Um, my friend Murphy, CJ Murphy, we've had on here. I don't remember what episode he was on. Um, he has a good training log on this at Elite FTS, so I would look that up if you want to talk about the leg extension um, for athletic performance. And then the leg press, kids just slap weight on there and half-ass rep stuff, and it doesn't look pretty. Um, it becomes like a really hard knee extension almost. Um, and the reason we joked about this in my gym not terribly long ago, but there's a reason why they call it a leg press and not a um, hip sled. Well, the hips aren't involved in a leg press. If you don't believe me, go watch how much people can leg press versus what they can squat. And we need the hip musculature to stabilize. Next thing you know, your squat is drastically less than your leg press. So... I don't like the leg press for that reason either. Uh, I guess if you were severely injured, you might be able to make a case for it, but I don't like it. Anyways, why would I do, instead of those exercises, first of all, just about anything lower body-wise, just about anything um, that gets you up and moving. But uh, So we've talked about the goblet squats and front squat and safety bar squat. We've talked about sumo deadlift, RDLs, um, hex bar deadlifts. Um, so those were the two big lower body exercises that we kind of went after, um, earlier on in this part of the episode, but I also think that this single leg work is a huge, huge aspect that you can get the athletes not only need, but that would replace those that are by far better options. So all your lunging variations, your split squats, your lateral lunges, um, your single leg RDLs and all those variations... Um, reverse sled drags, I think, are phenomenal for training the quads. Um, I love putting that in there for our kids to get some quad work if they need it, but also give them some conditioning. Uh, we also can do heel elevated options on our squat work. So if you're going to look at you know, your, let's say you do a double kettlebell front rack squat, you can elevate the athlete's heels, and you can get a little bit more direct quad work if you needed to. The other option you have is you can do some TKEs, um, and you can actually use the bands for those and some of your split squats and things to get a little more directed quad work if you feel your athlete needs that. Um, and I think those are all safer options in terms of developing the VMO and the quads and overall the lower body strength and size. So those options are just easier to work with. I think they have better carryover to athletic performance. So that is all eight exercises that I have. So... I'm going to go quickly in order of the eight exercises that I don't like for athletic performance. The squat, bench press, conventional deadlift, pin over row, overhead press, clean slash snatch, so the, or the, and the power clean, power snatch, uh, the full exercise, the upright row, and pretty much the leg press, leg extension slash kind of not so great machine exercises that a lot of bodybuilders would kind of use 
for like lower body development. Um, and I want to make this very clear here at the end before I round out this episode. This is talking about athletic performance. This is talking about improving athlete athletes, not powerlifters, not strongmen, not weightlifters, not bodybuilders. If you do those things, these are probably exercises that you do, you have to do, you have done, you've had good success with. I'm not saying you can't have success with them. I'm just saying that if we're trying to build the best athletes that we can when we have the ability to do so, and we have access to stuff to be able to keep our athletes safer, further ahead in the game, better off in their development, I think these exercises that I gave you as options, I think, are overall better options that you pick in your programming you know you might you might have a kid squat every now and then you might have them bench press every now and then um i know that every now and then you know some of my football players i have them bench press um because i feel like it's my due diligence to teach them how to do it correctly and prepare them for their next step in the journey whether that be collegiate sports or you know if they're middle school or going to high school and they're going to make them lift in the weight room i think i should teach them how to do that stuff but i don't think that we have to have our athletes squat, bench press, and conventional deadlift 52 weeks out of the year. I I don't think that's needed, Um, and I think you can get the athletic performance gains without those exercises with the ones that I have suggested that might be what you use for your performance indicators. I know if I ran a high school weight room myself, our standards in terms of what we would test would probably be the front squat, the Swiss bar floor press, and probably the hex bar deadlift. Those would be the big three. And then, obviously, we would probably power clean to be able to have those numbers because you can't measure progress on a clean high pool, <laughs> you know, unless you're talking about where the bar gets. But, you know, either you stand it, you catch it, and you stand up with it, you kind of get the point, right? So, and then probably, probably the power clean if I had to do that as a performance indicator, but I wouldn't make my kids power clean all the time. Um, so everything else, though, that we have listed on here in terms of the row, the overhead press, the upright row and the lower body and the lower body hypertrophy stuff with the leg press leg extension that's accessory work stuff to me. Now, they're big quality exercises, but since they're accessory works, you don't have to do those exercises. You can train those in other ways, usually that are probably going to be safer. So when it comes down to these, if you're a coach or you're an athlete, ask your coach or your athletes, you know, what or ask yourself, sorry, if you're ask yourself if you're a coach, if you're an athlete, ask your coach What's the underlying adaptation that we're trying to train from the exercises that we're doing? Is there a better alternative available to doing that? And if so, why is it a better alternative? What are we going to get from the alternative option for the athlete in the long haul? Is it improved shoulder health? Is it the ability to maybe garnish the fact that we're going to have less risk of lower body or low back issues? You know, are we, are we looking at something that lets us feel the musculature work a little bit better than if we have uh, another barbell-based option. Does the option that we have increase time under tension and range of motion and still train the same musculature? Like There there are questions that you can ask that are going to push you to being able to make a better decision if you have access to some of the stuff that I talked about and you have the resources and the coaching available to you and whatever. I'll also say to end this very, very quickly is that as somebody that owns a semi-private-based gym, and I have access to these things, it's easy for me to sit back and say, I would do this, I would do this, I would do this. I'm not the high school strength coach or the PE teacher or whatever that has three racks, three barbells, three lap pull-downs, dumbbells on a track. 
Okay, I'm not super limited on my resources of what I have access to or what I can get the athletic department to pass on. So if you are that coach and you only have racks and barbells and dumbbells and benches, that's what you have to work with, then you probably are going to have to bench press. You probably are going to have to do some some power cleans. You probably are going to have to do sumo deadlifts as one of your main movements because you don't have any trap bars. right? You may not have access to a landmine, so you're going to have to figure out a way to press overhead if pressing overhead something that's important to you and you want to put in your training programs, then you have to figure out how to do that safely, and you may not be able to have any of the options that I just listed, or maybe not many. So that's probably the only thing I would say is that you got to ask yourself what you got to program to your facility and then also to what you believe is going to be best for the athlete, for the athletic stand- performance standpoint, not the other way around. You don't program based upon powerlifting, bodybuilding, strongman, and Olympic weightlifting. Those sports by themselves tell you what you need to program based upon what's needed at the competitive endeavor in those sport, those strength sports. And as somebody that's a powerlifter, I believe that's the biggest plague of a strength conditioning coach. If they have a previous strength sport background, you can tell they are biased towards one thing. I am biased towards powerlifting. It's obvious. My kids squat. They press. They pull. Okay? They don't do a whole lot of Olympic movements doesn't mean I don't like them. We still do them, but you'll find generally a squat pattern, a press pattern, and a pull pattern or slash hinge pattern in all of my training programs. Um, so keep that in mind. I think if we dissect the athletes and the sports that they do and how they move, I think you'll find that most of the time everything I listed in here and the the, the exercises that I listed as options, you could probably put them in any athlete's training program and say, yeah, I can I can justify that. I can justify a weighted jump. I can justify a chest supported row. I can justify a floor press. I can justify a single leg work option or sled drags. You could probably justify that in a lot of athletes' training programs. But I wouldn't say you could justify an upright row very easily, in my opinion. So, that's the eight exercises. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. I hope this gave you something to think about. It's not designed to be clickbaity. It's designed to make you think outside the box a little bit about your training programs. How we kind of do things here at Thirst, not saying we have it figured out because we definitely don't, but I do feel that we've used a lot of these variations with very good success. Our injury rate is basically zero. We have one kid that's broke his leg. Uh, That's pretty much it. And that was a non-contact injury, just landed on the ground. So our injury rate is basically zilch. I feel like some of our praying programs have done a good job of keeping our athletes healthy. Um, And I also want to challenge you to think a little bit more. So... Those are the eight exercises. I hope you took something away. If you got any co- questions, comments, whatever, get a hold of me on Instagram. Uh, you can shoot me emails, shoot me messages, whatever. I love having stuff like this. Um, the solo episodes, episodes to me are fun. It gives me a chance to talk about some stuff that we do, but also gives me a chance to challenge the way that you think and then also kind of show you how we do stuff because I think the way that we do things is a little bit different um, but could potentially benefit your coaching style, your athletes, your own performance if you happen to listen to this and you're an athlete. So that's the eight exercises. Leave some questions if you got them for me, and I can't wait to talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Thirst for More podcast. Give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, Google, and other streaming services. Feel free to visit our website, thirstgym.com. That's T-H-I-R-S-T-G-Y-M.com. And click on the podcast tab to look over show notes and extra free resources. You can also give us a follow on Instagram, at Team Thirst. That's T-E-A-M. 
period, T-H-I-R-S-T, or you can give me a follow at bsmitley, that's B-S-M-I-T-L-E-Y, for more updates on future episodes to come. I'm your host, Brandon Smilly, and we'll catch you at the next episode.